Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. Thanks. All right, we're in Romans. We're starting a new chapter. Now, see, we've got to celebrate when we start a new chapter, because it takes a while to... Yeah, it takes a while to get... Yeah, yeah, chapter 10. Yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, we'll get to chapter 10 about next spring, maybe, you know. Not this spring, next spring. Yeah. Um, this is, I think, the 19th session, and we're just now in Romans 4. Yes. But the nice thing about this is I get paid the same whether I go through it quickly or slowly, so it doesn't matter to me any. Um, but Romans is such a great book. You know, there's so many good things in it. And last week we talked about when, when Paul finishes up Romans chapter 3, he's basically saying that justification is by faith, not by works, because if it was by works, what, we, what would we do through all of eternity? We'd boast about how we got there, right? Well, I did this. Well, I did that. Well, why, you know, I did more than you did. Why is your mansion a little better than mine? And I, we'd be doing that for the... And, Christ, and God really doesn't want us boasting, all right? And what he's done is the way of salvation is such that when you get to heaven and somebody asks you why you're there, your only answer is, I have no idea. I have no idea why I'm here. To be honest, I don't have a reason. You know, someone said, you know, three... I heard a old, you know, illustration of the the Catholic and the Baptist and the true Christian who went to heaven. And Peter asked the Catholic, "Why should I let you in?" He said, "Well, you know, I did the mass, I did this, I did that, and you know, you owe me this." And he asked the Baptist, "What do you do?" Well, you know, I believed and I did this. I spent my life, you know, honoring the Lord. He asked the other guy, "Why do you? Why should I let you in?" He said, "Well, to be honest, I have no idea why you should let me in." And really, that's where we all should be. Yeah. Um, God doesn't owe us anything. Yeah, it's all grace. I know why He would let me in. Christ. Yeah, it's not doing anything I've done. No, Christ, and even that faith that you get, you placed in Christ, came from God. It's yeah. not from your brilliancy. Right. See, we get this idea that somehow we're brilliant. We were smart. We, no, you didn't. There's only one reason. You love God. He loved you first. And whenever you see this thing of salvation in the New Testament, it's always God who takes the initiative. People say, well, I know people that are seeking God. No, they're not. They're seeking what God gives, right? Mm -hmm. They want peace. They want joy. They want fulfillment. They want something. But as we read earlier in Romans 3, no one seeks God for who God is. They seek Him for what they want from Him. No one is seeking God. They're all gone out of the way. They're all become unprofitable. There's none that does good, not even one. And so Paul's making the point that salvation is by grace alone. It's appropriated by faith. Even that faith is a gift of God. It's not you because God doesn't need an eternity full of a bunch of bragging believers thinking they deserve to be there. That's not what it is. And then he goes... Because here's the thing, that's what the Jewish people were taught from the time they could think. God owes them. I'm doing this, God owes me this. 
It's obligation by God. God, God owes me salvation. He owes me heaven. He owes me this because I've done all of these things. That was their idea. And th there's an old rabbinical story about a rabbi who was dying, and on his deathbed he called his accountant to come in and recite back to God all of his good deeds and all of the alms that he had given all of his life to make sure God knew that he did those things. And there's a deep streak in us that wants to think that we earn this, right? The idea is if it's free, it's not worth anything, right? If it's free, it doesn't cost. If it doesn't cost you anything, it must not be any good. We have to earn salvation. What's that? We have to earn salvation. No, you can't. But our idea is mentally is that if it's free, it's not worth anything because I have to work for something, right? That's our mentality. And what Paul's saying is, no, it is a free gift. And he, he illustrates this by going back to the Old Testament. Now, if you're an Old Testament Jew, who are the big names in the Old Testament that everybody knew? Abraham's one of the biggies, right? Moses, David, all right? I mean, everybody knew those guys, right? And verse, chapter 4, verse 1 there, Paul actually goes in and he says, okay, Let's look at one of these guys. He's got to illustrate this, right? Because he just made the point, listen, you're saved by grace alone, through faith, not of works. And they're going to say, yeah, but what about Abraham? <coughs> Didn't, he offer sacrifice? Didn't he offer his son on the altar? Through faith. Yeah. Through faith. But they say he offered, he offered his son on the altar. He, look what he did. In fact, rabbinical writings say that Abraham kept the law before the law was given. He just knew what it was. He just kept it. And, that, and so God choosing Abraham was not based on Abraham being a pagan in a pagan nation, but because Abraham kept the law of God, which had not yet been given. See, they had twisted it all around. What shall we say was gained by Abraham? What... what and some of your translation has found. What, what did Abraham find about this? The, the, the idea of finding there is he sought something out and, 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 and discovered it. What did he discover about this thing? What did Abraham discover about faith and salvation? What did he discover? Our forefather, according to the flesh. Let's look at Abraham. What did he discover about salvation? What did he find? Remember the story of Abraham. Abraham was a pagan in a pagan land, right? They worshipped the moon god. And one day, for whatever reason, God showed up to Abraham and said, I want you to leave this place. And I want you to go to a place that you've not seen. I'm going to take you somewhere else. And not only am I going to take you somewhere else, I'm going to make a great nation of you. And I will bless you, and in you, every nation of the world will be blessed. And what did Abraham do? He left. Now, here's the thing. You we don't understand the culture of that day. You just didn't do that. It was unheard of for you to leave your clan. This is a very clan, tribal type culture. 
You didn't just pack up your bags and go somewhere. Okay? It was a very patriarchal society. What does that mean? The father was the head of the home. Terah was still alive. By the way, Terah went with Abraham when he left. All right, we don't know how that all worked out, but Terah was with him. But Abraham was about 75 years old when God showed up and said, I want you to leave. Now understand back that the 75 back then was more like our 35 now. Okay, so it wasn't that suddenly he was old like Denny or something like that, you know, old, <laughs> decrepit, and can't, you know, this was not that. Yeah, he, yeah, he was not, he's not like that, but, but it was about, he was probably in, health-wise he was 35, because Abraham lived to be, how old, how old did Abraham live? 160. 160. So he was, he was probably, you know, because this is not too long after the flood, about 400, 500 years after the flood, people lived longer, all right, so he's probably about, look, 35, 40 years old, maybe, somewhere around in there. And that's when he left, Ur of the Chaldees. And he didn't go all the way to the Promised Land. He went to a place called Haran, stayed there until Terah died, and then he went all the way over to the land. Who did he take with him? Well, Lot went with him, right? His, his nephew Lot went with him, all right? His wife and all their entourage. And that's a journey of probably a good thousand miles. It's not... You know, in those days, a thousand miles, you know, you know, we get on a plane and boom, we're there, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, I get on a plane to go to California, I'm irritated it's a five-hour flight, you know. And back then, it was five months to get there, you know. It took half a year to go that far, you know. So it took him a while to get there, all right. But he left and he went back to the land. And then when he was 86, God showed up and said, reiterated the promise to Abraham. I'm going to make a great nation of you. He took him out and showed him the stars and said, I'm going to make your seed like the stars of heaven. And it said in, I think it's Genesis, Genesis I think it's 17 there. Abraham believed God and was counted to him for righteousness. What did Abraham, now here's the thing. And this, this is what we want to make sure of. The things that Abraham did were the result of his justification. His justification was not the result of what he did. Follow? That's Hebrews 11. Rahab was saved by faith. Why? Because she hid the spies. But why did she, hid the, why did she hide the spies? Because she believed God. That's what we got to understand. The belief comes before the action. But here's the thing. Belief always has an action. This idea that I can become a Christian and have no change in my life and do nothing about it, that's not true. If any man be in Christ, he is a what? New creature. You're not the same. Now, it may take a while for you to catch up and grow, and you know, we understand that. Well, We're his workmanship. Yeah, so, you know, you, if you're struggling with sins in your life and you become a Christian, they don't just go away. The struggle gets probably even worse, right? Yeah. Somebody comes to me and says, I'm struggling with sin. I don't know if I'm a Christian. I say, well, you probably are if you're struggling with sin because the pagans don't struggle with sin, right? They struggle with the consequences. 
They don't struggle with sin. But what, is it, what does it say in Genesis? Abraham believed God. And God credited, and that's the good word there, credited that faith to him as righteousness. Because he believed God. Because he that's believed what God said. But here's another thing, and this is the undercurrent. We've got to look at it from two levels. The human level, what did Abraham do? He believed God. From the divine level, why did Abraham believe God? Because God granted him the faith to believe. Okay, keep both of those in. Don't get them mixed up. Don't, don't get them mixed up. God granted him the faith to believe. It was all of God. Why did God choose Abraham? No. He wanted to. It could have been Job. It could have been Sam. It could have been somebody else. Why Abraham? Because God, in his sovereign grace and sovereign choice, that's the one I'm going to choose. But he was also living within the law. He did not. No, he didn't know what the law was. He was a pagan. They worshipped the moon god. Nanu, I guess it was his name. They were pagans. This was not, he was not worshipping the true god. Not then, no. Abraham was a pagan. And God appeared to him and revealed himself to him. And Abraham believed. That when he showed the statement he made here on God, faith to believe, it eliminates any human effort. That's right. Yes. You can't say, I'm a Christian because I was smart enough to believe. No, you weren't. It wasn't you. See, there's this deep streak in us that somehow God owes us this and somehow we've earned it. No, you haven't. That's the, that's the beauty of this thing and what Paul's trying to make there. When you get to heaven, no one can boast of why they're there. Yeah, even though Paul, you mentioned the analogy of the, the athlete. And yeah. The fact of the matter is, him saying, well, I did this, this, and this. Well, again, you're, you're, you're pointing to your in, in Philippians chapter 3, Paul writes, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. In other words, when you looked, when you looked at the credentials of Paul, he was probably the number one Pharisee of his day. All right? He was trained by Gamaliel, which is one of the leading Pharisees of all time. He was circumcised the eighth day. What does that mean? Follows Jewish law. I mean, I got circumcised the eighth day. I was the tribe of Benjamin, which is a premier tribe. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Concerning the law, I was blameless. I did all of the things the law said I was supposed to do. And then I saw Christ. And I counted all of that as, your, your translations say rubbish. The Greek word is skubalon. And if you want to know what it is, it's the thing you find in septic tanks. That's what the word means. When I saw Christ, every, all the stuff that I was banking on, all my credentials, became human excrement in my eyes. Worthless. See, we like to think that we're something. You're not. We're not anything. God grants us everything. 
That's all the power of the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you know, it's like when, when in the Luke, I think in the Old Testament it says God hardened his heart. Mm-hmm. So if God doesn't harden it, oh, oh, that's all right. If God does not move in your heart, what will you of natural course do? You will harden your heart. Yeah. The point here is thing. If God doesn't do anything to you, where are you going to go? Yeah. Because you're now. Why are you going to go there? Because you choose. You. It's your choices. It's your bent. It's your nature. Salvation is God intervening in the natural course of your life <laughs> to bring you to heaven. And how does He do that? By belief. It's not by what you do. Because he's got to eliminate this you God owes me thing. Abraham was justified because he believed God, not because he did anything. And people say, well, that, well, well, what about that passage over in James where it says Abraham was justified when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Well, let's understand what James is talking about. James is talking about if you say you have faith and I don't see any works, what kind of faith do you have? You don't have faith. That's not real faith. Faith always, true belief in God, the, the, here's the point. The faith that God grants you always results in a change in your life and actions. Mm -hmm. If there's no change in your life and actions, the faith, whatever that is, is not from God. What's the message? Imagine the faith Abraham had, Satan his son. Yeah. Isaac, and <clears throat> offer him on the altar. I don't know what he was thinking, but it God told him to do that. Maybe he was thinking, oh, God's, I was going to take, God's going to take care of it or whatever. But. And that's what, yeah. But see, that, that action was the result of his justification that occurred 14, well, actually more than that. It was probably 25 years before that. 86, Abraham is justified by, the Bible says, he's about 86, when he was justified by faith, Isaac was born when he was 100, that's 14 years. And Isaac was probably 12 or 13 when he was offered, that's 27 years. Abraham was justified 25 years before he ever got to the altar incident. And sometimes I was talking to somebody the other week and they said, you know, well, you know, we see Abraham's got a great faith and I... and." Jacob, you know, we see his great faith, but we don't read much about Isaac. I said, well, I think Isaac had a lot of faith because he was a 13-year-old kid that could have easily run away from a 110-year-old dad chasing him with a knife, right? If I'm 13 years old, I'm not going to allow dad to tie me up and stick me on an altar and put, raise a knife over me. I'm going to run. He had to have some kind of faith. Yeah. Yeah, he, well, it was Abraham and Isaac, and Isaac Isaac was 13 years old, and Dad was 100 and whatever, 13, and I could have easily outrun Dad. But he didn't. See, the faith that God grants is a faith that doesn't fail. This is the wonderful thing about this. Think about this. The faith that God gave you is an unfailing faith. If it was your faith, what would happen? It'd fail. What's the message of the book of Job? Satan shows up. God said, hey, what about Job? And he said, yeah, yeah, of course. Well, I mean, give him everything. Of course he's going to trust you. All right. You can have everything. Don't touch him. Well, that didn't work. 
So later on, when, Abraham, when Satan shows up, he said, God said, hey, what about Job? I mean, he's still, yeah, 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 but you know, let me touch his body. We'll take care of that. Okay, you can touch his body, but you can't kill him. Now, if God gave Satan a green card to touch your body but not kill you, how bad would it be? COVID is nothing compared to what Job went through. Job did not have morphine. He did not have drugs. He did not have painkillers. And what did ha what happened? He still believed God. What was God trying to tell the devil? The faith that I give is an unfailing faith. It's kind of like being steadfast, unmovable, always abounding. Yeah, but you abound not because you abound. Because God holds you. God holds you. God is proving to Satan, the faith I give is not a faith that fails. It's not an ultimate failing faith. Oh, you might have some ups and downs, right? Did John the Baptist have an up and down? Yeah, he did. But at the end, what did he do? He had faith. He believed. Because it's a faith that God grants. And God's saying, what did Abraham find? What did he discover? That's a faith that you get by believing. It's a justification you get by believing God. And it says in Romans 4.2, he was justified. Face is too far away. Okay, I'll get my face closer. I love this thing. Think of Noah, also. Noah, think of that guy. Now, he didn't go down to, you know, Lowe's and Home Depot and order up the lumber. He went out to the forest and cut down the trees. Yeah, now I'll tell you what, if you get a chance, go down and see the Ark Encounter. It's freaking awesome. Have you been down there? Oh, yeah. I mean, I first saw that. I mean, you you 500 feet. Yeah, 500 feet. 500. And then you sit there and look at that thing. Wow, that's big. Yeah, You know? But he didn't have, he didn't go down and get the lumber. He had to cut the trees and make the boards and everything. He did something. It says here in verse 2, For if Abraham was justified by works, if Abraham was justified by what he did, he has something to what? Boast about. If Abraham was justified by works, that gives him the right to Boast. By the way, Paul says, I don't boast anything but Christ. I don't boast in myself. And yet, you know, there's this that streak in us that we think that somehow, well, I did this, I did that, I'm doing this. God likes me better than he likes that other person because I do these things. The truth of the matter is, if you understand this doctrine, it's a humbling doctrine. It's not you. It's not anything you did. And when you get to heaven, God gets all of the credit because you didn't really do anything. That's the whole point of it. To glorify Him, to display His character. The idea of justified there is it's in a tense, passive tense, which means the works is the one that's doing the justification. If the works was the thing that produced the justification, 
he has something to boast about because he did it. Look what I did. By the way, God hates pride, doesn't he? What's it say in what, Proverbs 6? These six things, six things the Lord hates, seven are abomination. A proud look. Why does it start out with a proud look? Because that, what was the original sin in the universe? Pride. I will. You know, I'm floating around the throne here saying, holy, holy, holy. I like to sit on the throne. I'm, in fact, I'm just as good as he is. I have a right. And that's where Satan's fall occurred. Pride. Pride is one of the worst sins we have because it's, it's so insidious. You can be proud and not know it. Yeah. You can be proud. Yeah, well, they got, they, got, they got Aunt Salome, their mom, to go talk to Jesus. By the way, you know that John and James were Jesus' cousins. We'll get, we'll get Annie to go and get us an inside track on this thing. Christ said, that's not up to you to give. But we have this pride component in us. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Because when you're proud, you're depending on your strength, your power, your... The Peter principle, right? Oh, everybody will deny you. I won't do that. Christ said, yeah, right. Yeah. You've got about six hours before you're going to do it three times. Nine hours or whatever. That's going to be a quick fall. Pride goeth before what? Fall. Fall. What happened in Nebuchadnezzar, isn't this great Babylon that I built for my glory? God said, okay, you're a beast now for seven years. God hates pride. And, and because here's the thing, pride gets in the way of justification, doesn't it? If you think that God owes you something, can you be saved? No, no you got to come to the end of yourself. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I don't deserve it. As long as you think God owes you or you deserve it or you've earned it, you're stuck. You're stuck. What happened to the rich young ruler? He comes to Jesus. What well, good, good master, what must I do to be inherit eternal life? And Christ said, well, you know the law. Go keep it all. Oh, I've done that. I got that all done. Did he? He thought he did. What did Christ say? Go sell everything. What keeps on coming to my mind here is that, uh, you know, God told Abraham that he was going to make him a, a, a great nation. And you know, when I think about kids, I think about parents and uh, not having kids of my own. I watch uh, Teresa and other parents with their kids. You have one child and you tell that child all the time that they're your favorite child. The child's going to grow up thinking, well, I'm the only one. Of course, I have to be. And a family, a bigger family that has maybe 10 kids, if you tell each child that individually, okay, there's a certain relationship there. But if the other children find out that you said that same thing to the other sibling, then there's a chance that they might fall back these examples here, you know, where where God said that David was the end of my life, kind of thing. Um, 
there's chances of these people, uh, Noah and Abraham and David, being um, <coughs> running amok on the earth because they were favored by God, mm -hmm. but they didn't. No. So that lesson for us there is, is that kind of goes back to my thinking with the kids about relationships. If you treat each one of them the same, even though you might tell them they're your favorite, it's that relationship that God gives you with that child that you get to enjoy. Mm -hmm. And the fruit that comes from that is the part of when you think that look like works, right? Right. Because that's basically what you're saying. Yeah, our works, the things we do should result from our justification, our humility before God. I don't deserve anything from God's hand but eternal hell. The fact that he saved me is beyond my understanding. I can't earn it. I can't pay him back for it. I can't make him like me more. But I can honor him by saying, you know, I appreciate what you did, and I just I want to try and honor you. That's the motivation. Okay? And that's what really Paul's trying to get at here. If Abraham was justified by what he did, he has a reason and a, and a right to boast. But what, does it, what says the Scripture? What does the, what does the Scripture say? What, is, what do we read in the Scripture? Well, Abraham believed God and was counted him for righteousness. Genesis, I think, 17. 15 or 17, I can't remember which one. I think it's 15. Abraham believed God. God took him out on a sorry night. Look up, I'm going to make your progeny like the stars. Said Abraham believed God and was counting for righteousness. Now he didn't begin to glow. He didn't get a halo around his head. But God counted his faith as righteousness. He credited it to him. And the word counted here got counted, reckoned, credited. It's all the same word. It's the word legizomai, which means to credit to someone's account. It's a, it was a banking commercial term. If I owed somebody a bill and I went in and paid them some money, they would credit that money to my account. What Paul is saying is that God took Abraham's faith, he credited it to Abraham's account. What did he credit to Abraham's account? His righteousness. Remember, there's two kinds of righteousness, right? There's the righteousness of God, and then there's your own righteousness. Which one gets you into heaven? God's, not yours. By the way, Paul talks about his own righteousness in Philippians 3, right? I had a righteousness which is by the law. He had a righteousness. It wasn't good enough. It wouldn't get you into heaven, but it was a righteousness that he had. He said, I traded all of that for God's righteousness. Good night. I don't want my own. And what happened is God took Abraham's faith, and on the basis of that, God credited his righteousness to Abraham as though Abraham did the righteous deed. Now again, God knew that someday that bill would be paid, did he not? That's what we read about earlier. Christ paid it. 
Yes. But until then, it was counted as righteousness. And the, the idea of diakasune there means to be acquitted before a bar of judgment. Think about that. What happens when you go, you know, go into the courtroom and you go through the trial and the jury finds you not guilty and the gavel, not guilty, acquitted. Mm -hmm. That's what happened. We stood before the bar of God. We were guilty and by our faith, we believed and God credited his righteousness to us and said, not guilty. We call that forensic. You know what forensic means? It has to do with criminality. We are justified. And then it says here, now to the, and this is the axiomatic truth. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted to him as a gift, but his due, his obligation. When I worked at Moen, they did not give me a paycheck and say, you know, we just want to give you this gift for being a nice guy. Why did they give me that gift? I worked for it. They owed it to me. It was an obligation, right? They owed it to me. If you're working for something, then what Paul is saying, there's an exclusivity factor here. If it's a grace, it's not of works. If it's works, it's not of grace. You can't have it both ways. It's one or the other. It's an exclusive or. It's not a both and, it's an either or. Either you're saved by works or you're saved by grace. It's not by both. Now, sometimes we like to mix them up, don't we? Well, I'm saved by grace, but boy, if I don't do what God wants me to do, he might take it back. There are people that believe that. You can lose your salvation. Yeah, I can be declared righteous, but man, if I really screw up. Let me ask you a question. God is omniscient, right? Yeah, what does that mean? He knows everything. Um, what's included in everything? Everything. Everything that is past, right? Everything going on right now, right? What else does he know? Everything that's going to happen. This is what amazes me. When, when I was saved, God not only knew the sins I had committed, he not only knew what I was doing, but what else did he know? Everything I would ever do. And he forgave me anyways. Now, can you outsend God? You can't. Because God knew you were going to... By the way, God does not make you sin, but God knew what you were going to do. That's kind of like free will versus determinism. Well, yeah. determined to follow Jesus Christ, I'm getting Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll sort that all out there. But the whole point here is this. When I became a Christian, God knew everything I would ever do wrong. Every sin, every thought, every action I would ever do. And he still saved me and declared me righteous, which means I cannot commit a sin that God didn't know I was going to commit. And he forgave me anyways. Yes. And then he forgot your sins. Yeah, they're buried in the deep depths of the ocean. Yes. Now, not because God's forgetful, but because somebody erased it, didn't he? It says in Revelation that the final judgment, God's going to open the books of their unrighteous. What's in the books? Everything they did. 
Well, there's the Lamb's Book of Life that has my name in it. And then there's the books of the deeds of what people do. And if you go to heaven right now and you pull off this book that says Alan Schaefer on it, you're going to find a bunch of blank pages. Why? God raced it. The blood of Christ erased it all. There's nothing there. There's no judgment. Now, if you're not a believer, it's full of stuff, right? But if you know Christ, God removed your sins. He erased them. And that's what he's saying here. He, Abraham, if Abraham worked for this, God owes him salvation. It's not a gift, but it is a gift because you can't get it any other way. And to the one who works not but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. The one who does not work for it but believes in God, his belief is counted, reckoned, credited to him as righteousness. Not because he is righteous, but because that's, God credits it to him. Another question. Yeah. I thought Christ came to forgive sin. Mm -hmm. I've never read that where it's erased. Well, the, in um, Psalm 103, I think 11 and 12, it says, God's removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. He's buried him in the depths of the sea. When I stand before Christ to be judged, there's no sin to be judged. Why was it? I couldn't be there. If, I, if there was sin in me, I could not be there. Okay? And another very wonderful um, picture of this is Colossians 1 and 2, where it says, God took the accusation against us and nailed it to his cross. Now, we don't understand the picture of that, okay? But in those days, if you were a condemned criminal for being a miscreant, and you were crucified, they would take your crime, and they would nail it on the cross for people to see, this guy is being crucified because he's a murderer, thief, whatever. You know, it, it had your crime on it. On that. Huh? I have a question. Yeah. So if your sins were erased in the Old Testament, why did Christ come to forgive them in the New Testament? Because they were put on account. That's what we, we talked about that last week. Um, what happened is when David committed sins, it's not that God just said, yeah, we'll just forget about that. But what did God know would happen when Christ came? This would be paid. This debt would be paid. No one ever gets away with anything. Why was God able to forgive David's sin? Because Christ is going to pay the penalty. God knew that, right? God knew that Christ was going to come and take care of those sins that are past. That's the last part of Romans 3. It talks about that. Well, one of the reasons Christ died was to display God's righteousness for the sins that he passed over in the Old Testament. That says that. Huh? That says that. I've never read that. Romans 3. What does it say? Romans 3. Okay. Um, it says here. Um, let me read it. Verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation, that's a satisfaction by his blood, to receive by faith. 
This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Okay? It was to show his righteousness at the present time so he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So not only does it allow God to forgive sins now, but it allows him those sins that he passed over. And the the word there used is to to put up with, to, I I want to put it, um, it's not that God forgot about David's sin. God passed over them because he knew there was a payment coming for those sins. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's that's what. Yeah, read that. Yeah, that's what it is. That's what it is. I mean, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Because you know that Christ had not yet died in the Old Testament, right? So it's not that Abraham was able to believe in Christ's death on the cross. He didn't know about Christ's death on the cross. But what did God know? God knew all about it, and God knew that someday all of those sins would be paid in full. By the death of Christ. Yeah. And that's what he's saying here. So, how does that... I mean, I'm just trying to... Make no, that's fine. That's fine. So, how does that correlate to Judgment Day if sins, when Christ came, erased every sin that had ever been done? Only, only, those who, only those who were justified in the Old Testament have right. their sins forgiven. Believer, right. right. Uh, yeah. Believer. Right. In God. Right. So when Abraham, <clears throat> when Abraham would stand before God, <clears throat> Abraham's sins have been forgiven because Christ paid for them on the cross. He has no sin to, to be, to deal with. It's been forgiven. That is the wonder of this. See, it's in the Old Testament. God knows. They were under the law in the sense that God gave them a law, but every person in all of human history has always been saved by believing what God has said. What did God say in the Old Testament? If you lived up to that light, you were redeemed. Did Rahab know the law? They didn't have the law yet. It came after Rahab. Well, it came before Rahab, but she didn't know about the law. Abraham did not have a law. You know. So that's one of the things is, well, you know, when I was growing up, and I know where you're coming from, when I was growing up, it's like, well, in the Old Testament, they're saved by, by killing the animals. No, they weren't. They were not saved by killing the animals. That was just a picture, right? But that did not in any way save them. What did it do? It just covered sins for a little while. But how were you ultimately redeemed in the Old Testament? Ultimately. You believe God. Right. Uh, verses 7 and 8 of Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Yeah. That should, it seems like that should have been written in the New Testament. Right. But he wrote it. Because it was by faith. Yeah. And so what, what, what Paul's trying to do here in this, this section is saying the Old Testament saints, they were saved by grace, by believing God. Abraham was, David was, all of them were. Noah was. By faith Noah, by faith Cain, by or Abel, by faith Moses. 
All right, that enabled God to impute to them the righteousness of his own righteousness, but their sins were put on an account. And when Christ died, that account was erased. So how do you erase... How, so if someone is a believer in God right. before Christ, mm -hmm. then why would they have a judgment day if there's nothing to judge? They're not going to have a judgment day. They're not going to stand before the God and be judged in a sense. God say, okay, pull the books up, Moses. Oh, Moses, you're okay, you're in. No, they're, they're, yeah, there's no judgment for them. They're not going to stand before God and be judged. The believers in the Old Testament are not going to stand before God and be judged. That judgment is passed. And the, yeah, and now when we stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ, that's not a judgment of condemnation, that's a judgment of reward. All right, that's not because God said, let's, let's check the books and see what you've done. The pages are blank. But it is a judgment of reward. Okay? Yeah. If your name is written in the book of life, you will never stand before God in judgment. Ever. I've never read that. Yeah. I'm just trying to learn. No, no, that's okay. Nope, nope, that's fine. That's why we're here. And I can't answer all the questions, all of it. <clears throat> Maybe, you know, you got to think on this. Maybe part of it is if you could pick up you know, put them out on the internet, you can pick up the last week's lesson where we talked about that in detail, and they'll help you understand what, what Paul's trying to say here. What he's saying here in this passage is that Abraham was justified because he believed God. What happened to Abraham's sin? Abraham's sins were put on account temporarily until Christ came, and what did he do? He erased that account. That's what enabled, well, but God sees everything, right? He knows past, present, future. As far as God's concerned, they were already paid for, but it had not happened. He reads Revelation 20. Yeah. That's the, that's the judgment of the lost. Right. The judgment of the redeemed. We will never stand before God, and he's pull, pull, pull the books out and say, okay, let's see you know, what you've done here. That's Revelation 20. Is there somebody <clears throat> that can show me that sometime? Yeah. Revelation 20. Yeah. Go home and read Revelation. 20. Revelation 20 is there's a lot there's a lot we can catch up on. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But then finishing this section up, not only was Abraham justified by faith, but David was too, right? Mm -hmm. Was there a sacrifice for what David did? Could he go down and kill a bull and, and get over the adultery part? What was the penalty for adultery? Stoning. 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 Why didn't he die? Well, what did God do? God commuted the sentence, in a sense. But did somebody ultimately pay for what David did? Did he pay for the sins of David? Who did that? Christ did on the cross. That was way in the future, though. Wasn't it? That was way in the future. That was a thousand years after this. Yeah, thousand years. But far, and God, that's nothing to God, right? No. The point that Paul is making here in both of these examples here, and we're going to pick up with nine next week, is faith always, faith is the means whereby God grants his righteousness, a faith that God grants you. You don't earn it, you don't work for it, you can't deserve it, 
If you did, you can boast about it. God doesn't want you to boast about it. It's all by grace. And that grace is activated by faith. And when you believe God, God credits His righteousness to you. And your sin is credited to Christ. We're going to read about that in Romans 5. Verse 20, if I can squeeze it on. Yeah. Yet he did not waver, Abraham, through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith, and here's the key word, and gave glory to God. Mm -hmm. Not anything that Abraham no. gave glory to God. Right. Being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Yep. It's all by grace. This is what yeah, it's not because of anything he did, because he believed God. And the reason that I stand before God redeemed not, is not because I'm a bright person, smart, or anything like that. It's because God in his infinite mercy saved me. When I get to heaven and somebody asks, why are you there? I can say, go ask God. I have no idea what I'm doing here. He gets all the credit. He gets all the glory. So, all right, we'll pick up. Oh. <coughs> Why me when I when something good happens or or I feel that uh, in a sense God's grace seems to me that that kind of weakens my faith a lot. Well, to me it just it makes me in awe of what God has done. Exactly. It's an affirmation. Because I don't deserve anything, you know. I mean, you have a good question. You now, you see somebody has a tragedy in their life, say, well, why them? So, well, why not you? Yeah. Well, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that when I, like asking about why Abraham, mm -hmm. that's the point that I, you know, I'm thinking uh, shows me that my faith is a little bit weak. If my mind carries me over the past, mm -hmm. just the past. Yeah. That's, that's the only point yeah. I'm trying to make. I'm just amazed at God's grace, that's all. You know, the older I get, the, the longer I've been a Christian, the more I realize it's not me. Well, the more you appreciate it. And the more you appreciate it. And I think that's what's going to, eternity is just going to be learning to appreciate and give God the glory for what He has done. It's not you. Father, thank you for this time of study and thank you for this passage of Scripture as we work through it. Thank you for your grace. We thank you, Father, that it is by grace. It's not because we learned anything. Because if it was by something we did, then a lot of people would not be able to do that. But you made it such that anybody and everybody and all can believe. Thank you for that. And thank you for this day of study and for the service to come in Christ's name. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.